Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. More than just a podcast, it's the place for insights you can apply immediately to your farm operation for increased success. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Ag Explore. With innovative products that improve fertilizer efficiency, protect yield, and reduce stress, Ag Explore helps maximize field potential. Find out how Ag Explore can help you get more out of your crop at agexplore.com. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. I got a great program for you today. We're talking about cotton. We're talking about cotton with the only Extreme Ag founder that is in the cotton production business. That's Matt Miles, Miles Farms in the Delta part of uh, Southeast Arkansas. And um, in a tech stream, dear listener, this very week, uh, the guys with Extreme Ag were talking about changes they're having to make. You know, every season presents some new challenges. Well, where Matt is, has got some weather challenges, like a lot of parts of the world do, and is making some different uh, decisions uh, necessary for him on what they're doing. So he's going to talk to us about cotton, cotton production, and the fact that he's making some changes because of what the weather's presenting. So Matt Miles, thanks. This is the first time we've ever talked about cotton. Yep. Good to be here. All right. So your exact wording, I think, was we we got to find some moisture. We don't have any. And I'm holding off on planting cotton. And I thought, wow, man, this is different. I remember the old timers talking about wheat, planting the dust, your bins will bust, you know, all this kind of thing. I'm from a part of the world that generally doesn't lack moisture uh, here in northeastern Indiana. You're in a different climatological zone. And you also told me before we hit the record button, cotton is very finicky. So let's talk about the cotton finickiness. And let's talk about the weather. Why is cotton finicky? Well, cotton has is, is always been the, the old saying that my dad used to say, and I'm sure a lot of other people is, you know, cotton's always looking for a reason to die. Uh, it is the most finicky, wussy plant getting it out of the ground and getting it started probably than you, that you can have. Now, when it gets older and matures, it's probably one of the most toughest plants. You can't, you can't walk over and, and kick it and it fall over. You know, it's, it's a woody plant. So once it gets established and it matures, you know, basically it's a tree, yeah. but getting that seedling to come out of the ground and then getting it to stay healthy through till it does mature is, is probably one of the most challenging things that we deal with. Yeah, so what's interesting is I like that statement. Cotton is always looking for a reason to die. I was raised on a dairy farm. I say that about Guernseys, the fragile, frail, little brown and white cows. Uh, they come out. They come out of the cow's uterus and they and they start looking for ways to die immediately. That's why they don't have them around much anymore. So it's tough because you, you know you've been growing cotton your whole life. Your dad grew it and and, and all this. So we we got this finicky plant and then you're talking about some weather challenges so what's the problem this year that might be different than years past well i mean and, and we've had this problem before arkansas weather delta weather is absolutely uh you know when they talk about global warming and weather changing and all that I, you know i kind of see where the weather's changing the patterns are changing the windows are harder to hit but three weeks ago we were looking for days to be able to get in the field. The thing about our area in the Delta is we're always about two weeks from a drought. So no matter how much rain where you're at, Damon, if it rains, you know, you get a two inch rain, that may last y'all a month. Yeah. You know, a, a, a one inch rain to a six inch rain is going to last us two weeks. At that point, you know, our, our soil dries out. We've got about four to six inch topsoil. So that's what we're dealing with. So, 
and our weather changes so much. You know, like I was saying, two two or three weeks ago, we were begging for dry days. Two weeks from there, you know, we're looking at, at dry weather, and it, it's happening all over. But um, we were in the field, so so it was supposed to rain Sunday, and so Saturday night we quit we quit planting because it was starting to get dry. And I said, we'll get up Monday morning and we'll go finish this. We don't like, but we like about 250 acres. And of course we missed the rain. And so we're out there Monday. I've got, I've got the guys on the planter. I got, I'm on, I'm on the do all. And we're trying to figure out how to get this cotton in the moisture. But if you get, and I'm going to use my finger, for instance, the one joint on your finger that we, we plant by joints, you know, Chad Henderson, and I laugh at that all the time. One joint's one inch, two joints is two inches. No matter how tall you are, how short you are, basically that's the truth. You've got to get cotton somewhere between that fingernail and first joint deep, or it will not come up if you get any kind of rain, if it crusts. So not only am I trying to get that cotton in the moisture, but I'm trying to get it in the moisture and, and, and decide whether it's going to rain or not. And then the big factor behind that is how hard is the wind going to blow? We've been having... 20, 25, 30 mile an hour winds. We get an inch of rain and we get two days of 20 mile an hour winds. Our ground turns to concrete. Yeah. So, so I can't, I'm, I've, I've always been in the camp that I'm only going to go three quarters of a joint or less deep period. So wait a minute. Your, your point is a lot of times the old timers will talk about, you got to find the moisture. You just go plant it deeper. You, you know, you're going to go down there and find it. And you're like, wait a minute, you're going two and a half inches. That seems excessive, but they at least talk about that. You're saying the point is it don't matter. It don't matter to you. You think cotton shouldn't be planted more than about three quarters of an inch deep. No, I think it can be planted deeper than that. But if you get a rain, I mean, if, if I was looking at a 15 day forecast of zero rain, yep. I would go, I would go a joint, you know, an inch or inch and a half deep. I've never planted any two inches deep, but I would do that. But we've got these little chances of rain all the time. We get one of those. Yep. So on the raised bed, instead of going deeper with, with the seed, I'm knocking more of the soil off that bed to try to get down to moisture. You know, the, I'm, we, we plant on a raised beds about four to six inches. Well, I just got off the tractor to come to this podcast. What I'm planting on that right now is probably a half inch. So I took three inches off the top of that bed to get down to where I had some moisture to plant on. And in some places I don't even have that. So I've uh, seen cotton fields, but uh, you're the expert around here. You plant them and then and then they're on a ridge. Is that what I'm understanding? The, 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 the plant is planted up on a ridge and then it used to be for flood irrigation is why you did that, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean that's why we do it. Uh, some people call it flood; we call it furrow irrigation. But it's it's to have the direction for the water to go from the top to the bottom of the field. The key this year, and and this is really important, and you and I didn't talk about this any. There's no replant seed, so there's still farmers in our area waiting on seed to come in that hadn't broke cold germ tests, uh, different tests that the seed companies have to do. I've I've never in my life experienced a year where I could not get the varieties of cottonseed I wanted in a timely fashion. And, right, and so I've been a bunch of hoops to do that this year. So this is kind of big. And I think if you're listening to this, we, like I said, we haven't talked a lot about cotton. So dear listener, what I think is exciting is that we're finally covering a commodity that only one of our guys produces, but it's a pretty important crop growing in what, like 17 states, five states produce, I think the blind share of the cotton, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, Mississippi. Mississippi. So, um, the point is, 
it's May 4th when you and I are recording this. Is this late? Would you normally have all your, you did your plots, you did your trial plots for our sponsors because you said we use Concept Agritech, Nature's, AgriLiquid, and Agrison products, and you're doing plots. You've already got those done. Those are in, correct? Yeah, well, they're, we're actually planning the Concept Ag plot right now. I got off the tractor when we got through with the, uh, with the AgriLiquids plot to come do the podcast. Yep. I think that's the only two we have left. We did the Agrison trial yesterday. Uh, you know, so we, we've got all those done. For the okay. most part, I'm sure by the time I get back to the farm, they'll have the concept agritech one done. Okay. So is May 4th on time or is it late or is it early? Is is it just normal? What's normal planting in your part of the world for cotton? Normal planting in my part of the world right now. That's why I hadn't got. Now I like to plant early. I've planted corn. I've planted cotton. You know, I pushed envelope. I planted uh, cotton in March, uh, just to see if I could. Uh, usually April fifteenth, April twenty fifth is kind of when I like to plant. Okay. Prime time cotton planting is today. You get the first week of May. That's the prime time. But I'm always trying to outrun the hurricanes and the late season weather, so I try to push the crop as early as I can. Well, you know, we talk about corn and soybeans. Obviously, the extreme ag guys are really experiment pushing the uh, pushing the whole envelope on soybeans. Kelly put soybeans in March 21st in Northwest Iowa, which is is pretty you know it's pretty unheard of from the old days. Uh, but then we talk about if you don't get your corn in the ground by a certain date, you start losing a bushel a day or whatever. That's one of the big things in the corn belt we talk about. Do you lose a do you lose a pound an acre? Do you lose 10 pounds an acre if you miss the window? If it's May 17th and you're still planting cotton, are you losing bales of, of cotton? No, I don't really think so, Damon. If you get to the end of May, 1st of June, you're starting to get on the late side of, of cotton in our area uh, simply because of the harvest weather. You know, we've got to have, we, you know, the, the later you go, the later you're going to get into October. Yep. Days are going to get shorter. Yep. Uh, you know, dues are going to get bigger. You can't harvest cotton if it's wet. It's got to be completely dry on the stalk before you run it through the picker because then it's got to go through the gin and it's compressed in the round bale. So you can't have moisture in those or it'll start a heat process and actually it'll catch on fire. Yeah. He's talking about with bales of hay. Bales of hay that go <laughs> too green and the internal combustion or a, a, what are they, spontaneous combustion. So yeah. here's the thing. Uh, you just told me something interesting that cotton's always looking for a reason to die. Your, your dad said that. And then now you're telling me the one good thing about it, it's not critical on timing. You can plant this stuff in April 15th. Or you can plant it May 15th. That's, that's, that's not terrible. It gives you a, you got a four to six week window where you're not going to lose yield if you get it planted. Right. Yeah. You've got, yeah, you've got at least, yeah. Six weeks. Uh, like I said, I, I may lose a little yield at times because I plant too early. You get into June, you know, you're probably going to lose a little bit of yield, but it all depends on the weather and the heat, you know, during the, during the time that it flowers, blooms, and, and reproduces. So for the people that are listening to this that really don't know much about cotton production, you're putting a seed in the ground and it ends up growing to a little bitty tree, and then uh, you're flood irrigating it, or you call it furrow irrigating it, uh, to keep it all going. You, you irrigating it the whole time, or does it get to a point where it doesn't need it? No, it's it's an arid plant, so it you you actually irrigate it less than you would corn and soybeans. Mm -hmm. So usually about every ten days during the during our irrigation season, I would call it. We've got moisture meters, you know, on some automation where we can kind of monitor that now. But it's probably the least water uptaking plant that I grow. Okay, and then 
when you're doing all these other things, you know, corns, corn, you got to do out your fungicide treatment, all that. Do you need to do any of these things? When I grow cotton, do I need to treat a fungicide? About three times more you do to cotton than any other crop we grow. Okay. So it, we, it, we does, got, it does, it does require a lot of, it's high maintenance. Oh yes, sir. We've got, we've got at least three herbicide applications. We'll have seven to 10 insecticide applications. We put what they call uh, picks on there to keep it from being too tall. Uh, and then we have to defoliate it, desiccate it at the end two times to get it to where we can harvest it. So there's, that's where the labor comes in in the Delta. You see all these Delta guys with so much labor. If they've got cotton and they're fur irrigated, you've got to have a fleet of guys there to just to keep up. So um, the season, you know, I'm going to be recording something with Kelly about is it time to panic because here we are first week of May and it's still cold and wet and he doesn't have corn going in the ground. We're going to talk about that. So you're saying it ain't time to panic yet on cotton. You're dry. If it stays dry for another two weeks, you're going to be really, really dry, but you're not, you're not, you're not panicking about the cotton right now. I'm, I'm not. My 15, we've got, a, we've got about a 70% chance of rain tomorrow night. If we don't get that, it looks like our 15-day forecast is going to be pretty dry. <clears throat> 15 days, we're probably irrigating corn and beans because I've got beans blooming today, um, which should be the first beans ever bloomed in Arkansas. In, earliest beans bloomed in Arkansas in history. But, uh, yeah, it's going to get – I'll get a little panicky in, in two weeks if it hadn't rained. But as far as the, the yield loss on the cotton, I think I'll still be fine. Okay, then that next question that's put by is probably like me listening to it and saying, you know, you talked a lot about how dry it is and it's going to, it's, it's, you're holding off on planting because of that. But then you also just said you irrigate. If you irrigate it, what difference does it make? Why can't you just go out and plant it and then flood the field? I'm glad you asked that question because with furrow irrigation, we're four to six inches above the, the bottom of the bed. So you can imagine you, you take a hoe and dig you a straight line for a quarter of a mile you know, build you a mound like you plant watermelons on, be the same principle, yep. turn that water hose on and see how long it takes to soak to the center of that bed. Yeah. Okay. So the point is you'd have to, you'd have to flood it, literally flood it to get water to where the seed is. So you really, you need water. You need moisture in that soil to get it to, uh, to where it finally has some roots. Then it can hit the irrigation water. That, well, yes, and 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 the thing is, we've got to lay all that polypipe out, and then run over it six times, and then expect it to still be good when we're ready to irrigate. Oh, so yeah. that's not going to happen. So you're doubling that cost, and you're doubling the labor. If I had pivots, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah, if you had pivots, you'd go ahead and plant. Doesn't matter, and then you just go out and turn the sprinkler, turn the sprinklers on, right? Yep, that's exactly what you do. Or if you had subsurface irrigation, you could do the same thing. So that's the next question. We've got a subsurface irrigation company that sponsors us called Netafim, and uh, and and Kelly uses their stuff. Uh, Ke Kevin has used their stuff. Um, are you gonna Are you gonna use their stuff? Is this Is this in the in the cards? Well, we're looking at it on some some different in some different areas, but we have so much iron in our water and our groundwater and stuff. It it you know it's a, it's a lot harder. It's easier said than done where I'm at. Yeah, and and, and the expense of it. Well, then the other part is you talked about uh, your your rotation. Tell me what happens with cotton uh, on rotation. What do you do? Is cotton every three years? Is it every four years? Every other year? What do you do? Usually it's every three years. I rotate. I, well, I'll start with corn, and then behind corns I'll put soybeans, 
And then behind soybeans, I'll put cotton. And the reason, and, and I will change that up some, but the reason why I don't put cotton right behind corn is because cotton tends to try to get too big. If you don't put a plant growth regulator on it, it, it will get, it can get eight foot tall. And we want it about belly button high. So, so we have to continue to put growth regulators on it to keep that plant stacking nodes and, and being short. I wish that worked in soybeans and corn. Then we could keep the corn and soybeans short too. It's just, it's a chemical that just works in, in cotton, honestly. So, so I never even knew what a plant growth regulator was until I started working with Extreme Ag back last summer, uh, summer 2021. And then you guys just toss the stuff around every which way. And you guys are, are introducing it to a lot of people in farming that have heard of it, but never used it. And you say of all the crops that you need a PGR with, it's cotton. It is, but it's a different PGR than what we're talking about when we're talking about grains. I mean, we use it, this PGR that I'm talking about is mepochloride, I think is the scientific name, and it's just to shorten a cotton plant. Yeah, I've tried it on Bermuda grass, I've tried it on soybeans, I've tried it on corn. Yeah. It's just a height regulator is what it is. Okay. So yeah, it works differently than when we talk about some of the plant growth regulators we've used from some of our other sponsors. You know, Ag Explorer or whatnot. This one just is a different one and it's specific to cotton. That's exactly right. Okay. So you talked about the rotation and since we're covering cotton and the decisions you're making, obviously about the moisture and now it's been explained. It don't matter if you've got, if you got irrigation and infra irrigation or flood irrigation isn't going to do any good until that plant has been in the ground and growing for what, four to six weeks, probably. Yeah, probably so. And, and I'm not saying it won't do you any good, but you will almost damage as much as you'll help just trying, because you literally would have to flood the field yeah. at, you know, at, you'd have, it, it's, it's a nightmare to try to do that. We can do that if we have to, but, but it's going to be extremely expensive and extremely difficult. On how many of your acres do you, because you talk about the rotation, you don't put this across all of your acres, right? I mean, if you don't, of the whole entire operation, this is not on one third of your acres, is it? I've got 2,600 out of out of a little less than 11,000 this year. Yeah, so a little less than a quarter of it. And didn't you tell me once, or maybe another cotton person did, you're limited because a cotton harvester, a combine can combine soybeans, corn, sunflower, wheat, oats, canola, all kind of stuff. You just change a head, change a couple settings. There's only one machine that, that harvests cotton to cotton picker, and they're damned expensive. Didn't you tell me that or someone told me that? Oh, yeah, it about make you sick because a new, if you could get one a day, a new cotton picker is about 900000 and it runs 20 to 30 days a year, and it, it stays in the shed the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. My combines cut everything else, yeah. and that picker can do one specific job. Yeah, so the cotton picker is tremendously expensive, and then also it just there's only so many days because you'll start losing season. You said October, the moisture comes in, and does the cotton start getting degraded, or it just gets hard to harvest? Well, all all the above. So you you get shorter days, so you get less time to harvest. Yeah. Uh, the longer it sits out there, the the worse condition your seed gets in and your lint gets in. Uh, there's everything goes backwards when it starts getting late. When you get to the end of October, uh, it, you, you need to be through. We try to adjust our harvest machines to a 20 to 25 day harvest. That's why we can't, you know, cotton's a dollar. I, I sold some the other day for a dollar 17. That's the highest I've ever sold any of my life. And you think, well, why don't you just have 5,000 acres of cotton and cut some of your corn back because fertilizer's high. 
Yeah. Well, you can't run out there and find a couple of $900,000 pickers. Yeah. One thing, you couldn't afford them. Number two, you can't find them. So yeah. where you can adjust corn, soybeans, wheat, barley, milo, whatever, you know, you've got to really plan way ahead to, to, to be able to change cotton. And one, it, it, when, you know, when you think about knowing that you could, you can always do anything. You could, you could do it past prime season, all that, but to get stuff done in a timely manner is one machine adequate for 2,600 acres of cotton based no, on the volume you produce? No, sir. Not in our area. I'm sure in Kansas and some of the Midwest areas that grow cotton, West Texas, where it's more arid, Arizona, uh, yes, in, in, in our area, we need about, we need about 15 to 1800 acres per picker. So my, I've got a, a nephew, I mean, an uncle and my cousin, we went in and bought, we, we both own one. We bought one together. Okay. So, so you, you essentially own, so when you said 1500 acres and you got 2,600, you essentially are saying you own one and a half pickers and that's going to get you done. Yeah, one and a half pickers will get me done. And I'm stretching it a little bit with that, with what acres they've got too. But, you know, it's just that that's the holdup with cotton, you know, or I think a lot more, you know, there's a lot of people, cotton lost its infrastructure uh, back when corns, they went to full, about 2006, mm -hmm. lost infrastructure in cotton because it was loan price and corn was four bucks. Well, a lot of the farmers in my area sold all their cotton equipment and and now that cotton's back coming, you know, it's back good for them to get back into cotton. It's going to cost them a whole lot of money. We never got out completely out of it. We stayed in it. My dad would roll over in his grave if I ever quit growing it. So it's kind of interesting. You just said that years ago, I was a speaker at a cotton conference in California. California is one of the 17 states that produces cotton, but the, it's, it's more niche. It's the what Supima or something mm -hmm. that they say is a higher quality cotton, but they don't have a whole heck of a lot of acres of it. And then they talked to me about the infrastructure. So I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. And they said, remember, if there ain't a gin over here and there's not a place to take the seed and the oil, you know, the whole deal, then, then even though we can grow the stuff, then we can't have a business. And so it's kind of like chicken or the egg, right? You got the acres and the production, but you also need the processing and they go hand in hand. And if you don't have enough acres in the Delta, then there's not going to be the gins. And so you're saying we got a little bit, we lost infrastructure when everybody switched over to corn 15 years ago, because they could make more money. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Well, most of the gins shut down. Our, our co-op here, McGee producer stayed going. There was a couple other gins stayed going. Actually, two years ago, my son-in-law and, and a group of guys built a new gin. That's probably the first new gin built, I don't know how many years, probably 30 years. Mm -hmm. They went, went, went out and, you know, built a brand new gin, and it's worked out well for them, especially this year. So and That's the know. other thing. It tends to be a lot of cotton processing gins are owned by you by the guys that drink it right i mean it's not like it's not like me me just owns owns a cotton gin and says uh, this is my business come and bring me your stuff most of them or a lot of them are owned collectively or cooperatively right well they were originally originally started by big landowners so the big landowner would own the gin and then he would rent you the land and guess where you had the gin <laughs> well guess who i mean i hate to say it but guess who made all the money out of the yeah. process it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of a share, it's kind of a share kind of a sharecropper concept. Yeah. So co-ops have co-ops were formed at that time by by farmers that didn't want to be tied to a specific own gin, and uh, you know we've done really really well with our co-op gin. By the way, 
my wife is a twin. So she thinks sharing is natural. And she tells me I'm not a good sharer. And I said, two things, sharing is how communism got start. And I said, let me tell you something else about sharing. Cause I'm an ag guy. You show me a rich, successful sharecropper and I'll start sharing more because I don't think that, I don't think sharing is working, working really well for them. So uh, that's my concept on sharecroppers. All right. So do, do you have, um, do you have anything about, you told us the high maintenance, uh, it requires a lot of attention and uh, it and also requires specific infrastructure. So really cotton's kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, is, there, is, there, is there anything that, is, is there anything that you've ever produced that's as much of a pain in the ass as cotton? No, sir, nothing, absolutely nothing. But it's, you know, high risk, high reward. Uh, yeah. When cotton when cotton does well, you know, that's where I started. I, I started and was able to kind of you know, build some equity through cotton. I always tell people cotton's what brought me to the dance. Then I was able to take, you know, those assets and explore corn, you know, and explore soybeans on cotton ground. Back 20 years ago, all the good ground, what I call good ground, Chad says it's marginal ground for him, but it's good ground for me. All of our good ground was in cotton. All of our bad ground was in beans and, and rice. You know, corn, we didn't even grow corn here. So you, all the prime ground was cotton ground. So that's how... That's how come cotton was such a big deal here. If you wanted to make a living, you know, you you needed, you know, the guys on the better ground seem to make the better living. And if you're on a better ground, you planted it cotton. When you look at uh, what cotton has taught you, or what you do differently than your your father, you're making more bales, more pounds, whatever. I, how do you, you call it? Pounds breaker, bales breaker. It's kind of the same thing, right? Both, yeah. Well, I, I call it pounds breaker because the bale can be anywhere from 470 to 520. Pounds. Yeah. All right. How many pounds are you going to get, you think, this year per acre? Man, I hope I get, you know, 13 to 1,600, you know, somewhere in that range. Our goal, we, fer we fertilize for 1,500 pounds, which is roughly three bales. You know, there's areas out in, in Arizona and stuff that make five and six bales, West Texas. And then there's, area, you know, dryland areas that, that are lucky to get a bale. So, you know, it's, it just depends on the area you're in and what your what your goal is. Why does Arizona do better per acre on uh, pounds of cotton than you do in Arkansas? Two different reasons. One is the humidity and, you know, it's a more arid climate. As I yep. say, cotton's an arid plant. Yep. And 100% control their moisture. Okay, so they, they they're doing the same thing as you. They're watering, uh, but but they um, they they get uh, the plant does better because uh, as long as you got the water and the heat and the sunshine and you're fine and it does it produces produces more because of what less disease issue less fungus is that the issue? Just temperature. I mean, they have. I mean, you got a place out there, so it'd be what a hundred in the day and sixty five at night. Mm -hmm. You know, and here it's 100 in a day and it's 90 at night. So okay. it's a difference in the nighttime temperature. Same thing with us with corn versus Kelly. Kelly can grow higher yielding non-irrigated corn than I can grow irrigated because yeah. of the nighttime temperature. So the other part of that is, is it just stress? I mean, is that, that 90 degree at night and humidity that you got in the Delta region just, just stresses that plant? If, if you... You, you take a week where you get eight hours to 10 hours of sleep a night. Yep. And then you take a week where you get two to three hours of sleep a night. See which one makes you feel better and which one you're healthier with. That's a good. That's a good comparison. So that mostly happens in your part of the world, probably June, July. Yep. June, July, August, June, July, August. Okay. And then um, the, uh, the seasonality of it, um, 
that you're saying this year is different than last or two or whatever because the moisture is there anything else i mean you talked also a dollar 17 is the is cotton way up because uh, there's problems with weather is cotton way up because we started wearing more shirts why is cotton way up right now cotton's up because demand's up and also because west texas has been in a drought uh, there's, you know, several different reasons, reasons why the biggest deal today, like I said earlier, is we, we've got one shot and that's why I'm so finicky about this moisture. If I have to replant 500 acres of cotton, where am I going to get to see, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, we waited a couple of weeks to get to see. So wait, now you, you know what? I, I'm a bad interviewer because you said that and I never came back to it. You said that. Uh, as opposed to years past, and this is a, an input problem, just like we talk about glyphosate's in short supply, fertilizer's in short supply, cotton seed is in short supply. And so that's your concern is that if you plant it and it fails and you got to replant, you ain't going to have the seed. Is that what I'm hearing? Will not have the seed. As of right now, today, if I had 100 acres to, all right, so Lane and I talked right before I came here and we need 36 bags to finish and we've got 35. So I'm going to have to struggle to find that other bag. Yeah. I mean, that's how booked up it is because it goes through a process and it has to have a, a certain different test of germination before they can release the seed legally. Yeah. And it's not passing those tests. So it's bad. It's, I guess you would call it bad germ, bad cold germ seed. So, uh, by the way, you're one bag short and that's if you don't have to do any replanting, if you have to do replanting, you ain't gonna have the seed. I don't know what I'm going to do. So then you pivot and stick out late season soybeans? Uh, man, I, I've already got my pre-merge out there. It'd be tough to do that. I'm just going to find, I'm just going to have to hope it works out. You're going to find the seed. That's why I'm stopped planting because I've got to get a stain. Uh, next question. How many acres does, because I know that I'm sitting here saying, okay, a bag of corn, uh, they call it a unit of corn is what? 2.3, 2.4 acres with a, a bag of corn. And, uh, is that right? And then yeah. what am I, how many acres am I covering the bag of cotton seed? 5.6 to 6. Six acres. Uh, okay. All right. What have we not cover, Mr. Matt Miles, about cotton? First off, I, I, did, I didn't get this one covered. You're, you're, you fertilize and you hope for 1,500 pounds per acre. When you were a kid growing up out there and your dad was the operator, what was the pounds per acre? 1,000 to 1,200. Okay, so we're we're forty we're forty percent over that probably uh, in forty years time. Well, well, I'll be honest with you. You, I've seen my dad make fifteen hundred on occasions. Today, if we don't, you know, cash flow wise, we've got to make thirteen fifty. The new varieties and the new techniques, the new fertilities, the the natures, the concept agrotechs, the agroliquids, the agrisons, you know, they've come out with products to help that cotton plant. People forgot about cotton when corn and soybeans went up to $4 on corn and $10 on soybeans. Hell, people quit researching cotton. So we went through a lull there of, of basically flat yields. And then, and then these companies started coming out with a little bit better genetics. And then these other companies come out with fertility products. We're seeing every day infer products, you know, so that's something that never went on a cotton hardly at all. You never seen infer on cotton. 100% of my acres have infer on it this year. Whether it's melum and, and orthene just to control insects and, and uh, nematodes or fertility products like some of these companies I mentioned that, that you know, we're increasing the yields with. Yeah. 
Uh, by the way, dear listener, be paying attention because we're going to have trial results uh, like we always do. We do a wrap-up at the end of the season. We're going to be doing that again, but keep posted because I'm going to be at Matt Miles' farm uh, here later this month of May, and I'm going to go and look at the cotton trials. Uh, stay tuned, and we'll tell you what we're, what we're learning from that. Uh, last things uh, that you think we don't know about cotton because everybody's listening to this. Some of them grow the stuff. Some of them don't know much about it like me. Uh, are we going to be, are, are, you know, we're going to be in high cotton come October. Are you going to be just ecstatic? You're going to say, I never made this much money on cotton in my life. You know, you know, I will have probably never sold any for this much per pound. Now it all depends on the weather, what the yield's going to be. But if you're thinking about cotton production and you're in a cotton producing area and you've never done it before, yeah. please try 50 acres and get a neighbor to pick it before you jump in it. Because the difference in it, it's somewhere between vegetable production and corn and soybeans. You know, you know how much vegetable production, how hard that is. And then you've got corn and soybeans, which are look, you know, are fairly easy. They yeah. and I don't want to make light of corn and soybeans because they're not real easy, but cotton is a it's a different you you you've got to be a cotton farmer or want to be a cotton farmer. But you talked about a return on this, and then you said about your cash flow, you know, even on a good year, like you think this is gonna be, your actual net on this, maybe three hundred bucks an acre. Is that Sound about right. If I could sell it all for a dollar, you know, of course I, I don't sell everything on the high. I've got some yeah, yeah. sold for 85 cents all the way to that dollar 17. Yeah. But if we could average a dollar on it, yeah, we could be in the two, 250 to $300 range on, on ROI, you know, just to, even with our high inputs, I, th I think that it's, it's definitely a good, a good, a good uh, crop to grow this year, which so is corn and soybeans. Right. Right. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to tell everybody, stay tuned on cotton stuff. Last thing that we need to know, last thing that we didn't cover, the, the one thing that you should tell everybody that uh, besides telling them that it's always looking for a reason to die, and if you're thinking about dabbling in this, start with 50 acres because you're going to realize how hard it is. Is there anything else? I think you're almost scaring away. The, I think you're almost scaring away the supply. I think you're just really doing that to try and tell people, hey, man, don't be doing this because you're going to mess up my marketplace. Man, if I was doing that, I wouldn't be telling people what I'm doing with soybeans. <clears throat> but no, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's kind of a heritage thing. You know, it was one of the first crops grown in the Delta and, you know, it makes you feel good to put on a, a crisp cotton t-shirt and know that maybe some of that cotton was yours. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. And a bunch of our stuff goes overseas, right? We don't keep much of it around. It goes to textile mills in foreign countries, right? Yeah. The majority of it is export. Matt Miles is one of the founders of Extreme Ag. If you want to see more stuff, please go and look back. We've we've released a hundred and some of these uh, since I started with them in last summer, and there's great information. So please go and check it out, share it with your friends, farming and non-farming alike. Thanks, Matt. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Till next time, it's Cutting the Curve. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cutting the Curve. For more information that you can apply to your farm operation, visit extremeag.farm. Are your crops stressed out? Ag Explorer has you covered with a full line of products to help protect your crop from environmental stressors such as cold and wet or heat and drought. Check out agexplorer.com and start protecting your yields and profits.